don't check your cameras. I'm actually in studio for this week on Startup Security Weekly number 62. We're going to have Roy Abutbol uh, uh, talking to us about Javelin Networks. We're going to talk a little bit about why the side hustle might make a big impact in your career, especially in security. Why maybe we don't actually need more empathy and something called the false consensus effect. In the news of interest, what happens when you sell your startup? Zscaler files for an IPO, confidentially. CrowdStrike, Metric Stream, Skybox, and Proofpoint all in the news on this episode of Startup Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show about security startups, how to secure your startup, and advice for security startups, it's Startup Security Weekly. I need it from the top. Brought to you by Make Sure Your Team is Prepared to Fight Off the Latest Cybersecurity Threat. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team skills up to date. You can stream IT Pro TV's courses live and on demand worldwide, so there's no need to send staff to off site training. Their team solution provides access to a supervisor portal for full control over your team's training schedule and group analytics. Go to itpro.tv forward slash startup security and use the code SS30 to try it free for seven days and receive. 30% off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. To learn more about IT Pro TV's team solution, sign up for a free demo of their supervisor portal. Are you looking for a career where you can make a real difference? Accenture Security is looking for passionate, creative minds to tackle some of the biggest security threats facing us today. Innovative thinkers who want to outmaneuver cyber criminals. They're hiring specialists across the spectrum, from security strategy to cyber defense, digital identity, and application security, helping to deliver holistic solutions. If you want to use next-generation technologies and global resources to change the future of security, visit Accenture.com forward slash security careers. November 10th, 2017, and I am in studio, finally. Woo-hoo. So it's weird. Like I feel like we should go to the not sand hobo and not joining us by Skype. It's uh, I'm totally thrown off because, you know, typically if I'm doing this, I'm at home looking at myself on screen. Which, which is, is weird. Absolutely. But now you're here in studio. I'm trying to get used to it. It's uh, your third show now in studio, which is awesome. It's been a great awesome. week. Yeah, this is this has been a lot of fun. We should do this more often. I was actually thinking I need to come up here more often. It's uh, yeah. It feels comfortable. Um, I hope you guys think that Paul and I have uh, a good chemistry when we work on these types of things. I think we feel that way. Yeah. But being in person and getting to talk about some of this Different stuff. Different dynamic, right? I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And you guys, it, uh, if you ever get an invite, if you're uh, able to be a guest and they say, hey, come out to the studio, do it. Um, it's a great team. I love the studio. If you guys have seen, it's a new set. This is uh, We're debuting it this out is a, Yeah, this is actually the Secure Digital Life set. And uh, what's interesting is uh, I'm waiting for the feedback on the CISSP book, the CISP <laughs> book. And Michael, if you could just, just grab that. I think we should show people. This was, yeah, th- we just show people that this is our CISP book, and uh, this was a gift from a listener. Now, it had stuff in it um, <laughs> because when you open the, the pages, there's actually a cutout uh, with a, a kind of a, a funny, if I hold it the right way, a funny picture. 
uh, in there, and there was bourbon and some collapsible glasses when it was gifted uh, to me. So Pretty sure that's how you get through the test? Yeah, I, I hold this near and dear to my heart because it was a <laughs> gift from a listener and hilarious all in the same same token. So we're adorning it on uh, on set. So. Oh, look, now you can actually see it. Yeah, that's nice. That's fantastic. No, but, you know, it's, it's a nice set. It's nice to be in person. It's nice to talk about these things. I think we've had a good week. We've been taking a look at two things that you're going to see uh, across the whole network mm-hmm. uh, in the coming year. And so uh, this was fun. So if you get a chance, come check it out, and uh, you'll get to be part of a lot of that stuff. Oh, we're doing a webcast next week. Uh, Onapsis has a webcast on November 16th, 3 to 4 p.m. Securityweekly.com forward slash Onapsis. That's O-N-A-P-S-I-S. Onapsis, uh, not Y, and I. Uh, Seba, who's the, their lead of research uh, for Onapsis, will be on talking about, they disclosed something like 20-some-odd vulnerabilities in October alone across SAP and Oracle. So we're going to have an interesting conversation, dive into some of the technical details, because yeah. uh, is the lead researcher, at least the team, and talk about some of the other things, like what conversations should you be having about, because that's a pretty, that's just one month across two products, and that's just one vendor. There were hundreds of vulnerabilities disclosed across those yep. two different products. One vendor was responsible for... 20 some odd vulnerabilities so to me this is a big problem uh that we need to talk about and teach people how to have those uh communications and and teach people how these some of these vulnerabilities were i mean there's cross-site scripting and sql injection in there which largely i think in (laughs) in my assessment are on the decline in certain areas they might be on the decline i mean there's still challenges that we're still there but and you know what i like about things like this too is that when when you see us talk about these webcasts and you think well i'm not sure if i have to deal with that or not or what I like about it is if somebody can tell you some of the things that are happening and, and we're telling you these are business critical applications or these are business critical functions and you're using one of those or you're doing something similar to it, when you get a chance to listen in on that or when you get a chance, for example, listen to the interview we're about to do today uh, and, and some of the knowledge you're going to gain from that, what we're also showing you are ways that you can bring this to the business. And that's the difference between being the security person telling everybody no all the time. Mm-hmm. And the security person who says, hey, I've learned about this, and this is pretty important to the way that we do business. How can I help? Right? And that's, I think, the big difference is that if you have that knowledge and that comfort with what's going on, mm-hmm. it turns into a, I know this is important to you. I've learned about it. How can I help? As opposed to, let me tell you how it's going to be. Is, trust me, that's not going to work if it's really business critical. Well, it's funny so, is you know you maybe think of, well, I don't have SAP or Oracle, but you most likely, uh, I bet you, you have Active Directory. Yeah, <laughs> and, and if you do, you got some problems. Then you're going to stick around for this one. Yeah, you're going to want to stick around for this one, right? Yeah, no, we're excited today. So Roy uh, Abutable is joining us from Javelin Networks. Um, we, uh, both of us have talked to Roy a number of times, and if you followed uh, some of the different programs, you've seen some of the really cool technical segments. And there, there's some things that Roy's taught me that I'm actually really excited to talk about, but I don't, I don't want to give them away. But so what we're going to do is we're going to get a chance to talk a little about Active Directory. And I know, I feel like we're talking about Active Directory a lot. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to learn how to think about it differently and how to maybe protect it a little bit better, that's exactly what we've got, Roy. So Roy, welcome to Startup Security Weekly. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, very excited to be here again. Yes, nice to have you. And Roy's the co-founder and CEO, so uh, I like having co-founders and CEOs obviously on this show because it's a different conversation than uh, some of the other shows that we have. Yeah, in fact, how, how did you get your start with Javelin Networks? How do you 
I mean, you've I've read your bio, so you've you've got a, a pretty interesting background. So how how do you take your background, actively protecting and looking at things, and turn that into a company? What was that process like for you? So yeah, actually, we started back in uh, 20, 2014. Uh, me and my co-founders actually two of uh, two out of three we served in the same unit, uh, and one of them, and the third one is came from the intelligence units. We had a joint operation between the uh, my unit, which is the at the Air Force, and his unit, which is uh, again the intelligence forces. Um, and, uh, we used to hang out a lot and, and, you know, do, do our job. Uh, but eventually, um, we, we saw that there is a, there is a gap that just, there is a gap in the industry, um, that is there for something like 17 years since I was uh, something like, uh, 16 years old. And, um, we decided to do something about it. We decided that there is uh, there is an opportunity uh, not just creating um, creating a solution that solve a real problem, but also uh, raise awareness, raise awareness around something that unfortunately not a lot of people uh, know about. And so this is how we started. Uh, it was back in in Tel Aviv. Then uh, we relocated uh, three of us to the Silicon Valley. Um, and you know, the rest is history. I just, uh, I, I didn't uh, mention that it's Veterans Day today. And, and Roy mentioned the military service, which reminded me of why I'm adorning my, my camouflage military <laughs> uh, attire today to honor those that have served and those that are currently serving. Yeah. Uh, a lot of family uh, and current friends are actually, uh, one of my friends is uh, deployed now. Uh, so I just wanted to thank everyone for their service and acknowledge Veterans Day uh, here in the U.S. and thank people across the world like Roy who have served their respective countries. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of the things I'm curious about, and so I'm going to go ahead, uh, but I'll set you up so you can deliver it. One of the things that you said to me early on that really captured me was how to think about Active Directory differently. And and you said that there's a design to it. So what's what's the phrase? What's a way... Uh, that you taught me and that other people can think about Active Directory. And then I want to go explore that a little deeper. Yeah. So everybody knows what Active Directory uh, is. At the end of the day, it's just uh, it's an application, is a database uh, to help the organization to better manage uh, their resources, uh, ma- better manage the authorization and authentication between the identity to the right resources he wants to uh, access to. Um, that's but that's kind of all the the operational side of Active Directory. So uh, what we want to talk today about is the security side of it, and the security uh, side of it is the is that Active Directory and if you will uh, the domain uh, network. Um, is exposed by design. Yeah, that's the, and... that's the phrase I love. I just want to stop there for a second because, you know, a lot of people, we, it's Paul, I mean, we, we talk about Active Directory all the time and what we're always looking at are all the all the challenges with it. And Roy, as soon as you said, well, it's exposed by design, it's supposed to connect things, it's supposed to manage resources. It's supposed to be. And so automatically, that's a great place if you're an attacker to go. And it's automatically a challenge for us from a security perspective, right? And it's, so that's um, the way you look at it. I don't know if it's a brilliant marketing phrase from Microsoft or a horrible marketing phrase, but if their marketing tagline was exposed by design, <laughs> not sure how it would it's feel. Ours. 
That's yours. No, it's ours. No, yeah. it's his. It's the way yeah. Roy explains it. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. I don't think Microsoft is. I don't think Microsoft wants that. that is the, yeah. <laughs> but but I but I just want to point out. I think it's a really good way to explain it. And and again, because I'm always going to look at how we explain something. If you're a security officer today, or you're a security leader, and somebody says, "Well, I don't understand the problem with Active Directory. I mean, it's doing what it's supposed to." You say that's exactly right. It's exposed by design. And while that's good for us, that also could be good for the attackers. I want to be able to do something different, right? And Roy, that's that's the problem that you're solving. Yeah. So you know what? Let me even give you a more uh, in-depth uh, uh, phrase or example. So when I say the domain, the Active Directory is exposed by design, what I mean is that um, the, when you take a machine, any machine, it could be a server, it could be a, a PC, whatever, um, and you are connecting it, it to uh, a domain environment. Uh, from that point on, that particular machine is exposed by design uh, to the entire corporation resources. So right. um, that's that's actually the idea that it's managed by Active Directory, and that Active Directory is again is a is a database that stores the entire information about the entire co- corporate. Now. Um, the idea here is, regardless the uh, the privileges that you uh, that you have, uh, you have the ability to uh, get a hundred percent visibility on all the resources by just uh, using a build-in tools that was there at the endpoint uh, by design, and you can query. You can query the Active Directory using uh, LDAP or uh, you know, SAML, SAML uh, protocol or SOP protocol or all other protocols in order to just, you know, get all the information from the Active Directory. You can literally ask the Active Directory, hey, uh, please uh, provide me uh, all the list of uh, servers uh, inside the entire corporate and Active Directory will obligate. And Be- we'll because it was it's, it's designed to be helpful, right? I mean, that's the whole exposed exactly, by design. Exactly. That's so in security, if we get upset about that, just remember it it wasn't designed to be secure by design. It, it was designed to be exposed and to facilitate all this type of stuff. Now, Roy, your experience then was, was did you focus on this for the company and as part of your solution? Because th- was this the common attack factor? Let me try this again. The uh, common <laughs> attack <laughs> vector. <laughs> uh, or... Or were you trying to defend it? Or did you have your hand in a little bit of both? And that's what really helped you focus on the Active Directory part. It is. That's that's exactly what it is. And um, when we tell the story, when we uh, build the company, uh, of course, we will talk about, you know, the difference between other, uh, you know, companies. But when we build the company, when we uh, saw the need, we wanted to create such a story that um, will be just, you know, stick to the facts. Uh, there is no real marketing, you know, uh, around here. It's just basic, uh, uh, you know, stuff. And just we look at it from a different, uh, from a different uh, perspective. Um, if you read or if you see all the uh, advanced persistent threat uh, uh, reports, you will see that at the end of the day, attackers, they use, you know, various uh, methodologies uh, in order to penetrate the, uh, the organization. But since they manage to get a foothold on a compromised machine, that's it. From that point right. on, 
uh, if that machine is connected to the domain, they will use the same methodology and all of them, whatever, you know, the, uh, the campaign was, they uh, literally use the same methodology, which is, you know, get the knowledge from the Active Directory, get all the information about the identities, the applications, the servers, whatever, you know, the, the target, and then still uh, domain credentials. It's really important to understand it's a domain credentials. Um, and, and that's it, you know, access the, the, the targets that they want, uh, move laterally inside, you know, take the, take the data or guys even encrypt it, you know, and ask for kind of a ransom, right. you know, you can encrypt the entire place and then, you know, call for even a big ransom, which is a great business, but I'm not encouraging anything, but that's, you know, that's, you know, what led us to, um, to think and to say, Hey, there is something here. Uh, of course, we used to do this back in the day, but um, when we got off the, the when we got off the the uh, the uh, the army, you know, we were a little bit, I will say, uh, naive because we thought that all other security peers are are real well, I mean, aware about that, and uh, there is probably a solution that you know can prevent that or maybe mitigate the risk. But you know, it's it's not it's not yeah. there. Turns and, out the answer is no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let me ask yeah. what I think is a fairly obvious question. Then it's exposed by it's, design. It's a common attack vector for attackers. So what do we do about it? I mean, I know you have a solution, but how do we even start thinking about that, Roy? What do people need to I mean, to do? The first, <laughs> the first thing is to. Admit, admit that there is there is a problem. That thing which is we are uh, like so much, and we've been using for the last seventeen years. Um, it's exposing us to a really uh, big threat. So just by understanding that fact, then realize that really there is nothing that we can do in order to to prevent or even to stop. Those queries from being sent to the Active Directory is some, it doesn't something that you can you know achieve. So those are those two facts is is the key points to to understand. And uh, it, it, another thing to kind of uh, uh, learn from it is you need to know that at the end of the day, if this is the case, if this is what it means for attackers, if this is what it means uh, that when you get a, mach- a compromised machine that is connected to the domain, this is like a, it's literally jeopardized the entire corporate. If you understand that fact, it means to you and it means to, to the security team that it only takes just one compromise uh, endpoint to jeopardize the entire, uh, the entire corporate. Because uh, again, from that one single compromise point, they get everything. So what so, you're saying then um, is that is that this, if we look at, Paul and I always like to say, you know, if I've got 99 problems, uh, you, you're saying this is definitely in the upper third, uh, if not maybe uh, even closer yeah. to the top of the list. So then the reason that there's so much confusion around this is because it's exposed by design. I think trying to just understand the way Active Directory works is itself requires a little bit of investment of time. But then it's that question of, so what do I do about it? Because I don't think we can just go in. It's not a couple quick configuration settings, and we run that risk of preventing it from doing its purpose. 
So is that why this kind of remains a challenge? Because there's not a lot of good solutions around it, which, of course, is what prompted you uh, to start taking a look at that. Is that? Yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly. When you don't have the ability to uh, to block or prevent those uh, queries from being sent um, and you understand that fact, the the solution to do that and the solution to uh, to solve that problem is this is what uh, we uh, we are suggesting and we see kind of great feedback uh, from the customers and and great feedback from the security professionals and a great feedback from the community. Uh, so now, Roy, at the end of the day, of feedback. I want to put Michael's question into context because uh, early next week I'm presenting at the Sans Pentest Hackfest Summit and one of my slides. And I want to get your feedback on this, Roy, because I'm, I'm really genuinely interested, and I think it addresses Michael's question in a big way. I've got five things in Active Directory that typically people don't secure or lock down in any capacity, and that is to, I recommend, discontinue the use of LM, which is the old password hashes, prevent pass-to-hash attacks. I've changed my third one now to manage high-privileged credentials, Create a WPAD entry and disable NBNS and LLMNR, which, uh, as we talk about, exposed by design, right? That's what makes Active Directory very chatty. And then five (laughs) is prevent password hashes from being stored in memory. I feel like I've captured the the, somewhat of the five, maybe. I don't know. I want your expert opinion on this, of those five things. Now, if you walk into a boardroom, Michael, and you're like, well, we need to disable LMNR. Okay, thanks. Um, Hey, can someone give me some coffee? That's done. Yeah, like Roy understands the impacts. And so my question for you, those are five things. And how do we get organizations to start looking at these issues and addressing them? Because many of them don't when I talk to my pen tester friends. So again, what you said, you know, those are really great things. I can easily add you uh, even more stuff that needs to be yeah. needs to be addressed. For sure, um, the LLMNR it's a great thing. It's it's a way to go. It's really important to disable that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I want to focus on you know the big picture here, and the big picture here is those you know all those protocols, all those protocols that are available. Uh, to uh, to anyone that has has a you know um, you know machine in a domain a connected compromised machine in a domain just actually anyone that it has a, a domain machine connected and that can then query the Active Directory and get everything. So um, uh, I'll say that you know our our approach to uh, to, to solve that so to solve that problem is to obfuscate. You know that data again. We cannot prevent that data from being sent uh, uh, from the endpoint to the uh, to the Active Directory yeah, and, and you know, going back and and also to Roy's point, the back of what Roy's saying is is essentially like those five things and all that alphabet soup that I mentioned. Like that's not easy stuff to do. Right. It's first not easy to understand no, no. what all that stuff means. It took me years to to dissect it as you know as a pen tester and figure out what it means. And then it's a whole other thing to actually implement the defenses it's yeah. almost i feel it's much harder to defend against those things and actually there's probably a sixth thing with smb disabling v1 v2 it's harder for, for a defender way harder than it is for an attacker in this then the tables are really in the attacker's favor yeah so i mean that's that's exactly the thing and then you can talk even more about i mean you talked about past the hash and all those kind of methodology you know and i'll ask you um what about uh you know the fact that you 
you know, pass the ticket. This is yeah, uh, something that's really, really hard to, uh, to, uh, to defend against. And it's just, you know, asking the, the main controllers to give you the, the right ticket and you can just, you know, uh, do whatever you want with that. I think we cover that thing uh, in one of our latest shows. Yeah, here. And, and that um, comes down to credential management in a place where people don't even think that they need credential management. And that's just one of the, the gap. Like, basically, you need to put a long password on all your service accounts. And that's, that's not easy. There's not a lot of good facilities for doing that. And basically, I'm underscoring Roy's point of, in Javelin Solution, uh, not still your Thunder Roy, but in Javelin Solution, they're basically creating deception technology to catch people as they execute these attacks because securing it is, it, when I present this as my main point, is securing this is not easy. There's so many places. Right. Right. And if you've got an Active Directory network that is going 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 nodes, you've got this problem in a big way. Well, you know what I like about this too, and it's a great setup for you, Roy, is that one of the things I've learned, if, if you're trying to explain a problem, and I liked, Roy, how you opened up by saying, first thing, we got to admit that there's a problem. You know, and, and, and I would even say that there's a problem and an opportunity. This is how Active Directory was designed. Also, it's being used against us. So that's the problem. The opportunity is, hey, I, I could take a look at it. Paul, I love your list. If, if I could take a look at that and bring it to somebody and maybe try to help them understand it and they go okay do that and you're like yeah mm. so here's the thing about that mm-hmm. if you're trying to position a product or sell it if i can show you what it's like and give you a taste of it and you look at that and say how i, I can't do that then roy what a what a perfect setup for you because you're like yep that's the stuff you got to do or i've got this other approach now, when you talk about obfuscation, you talk about deception technologies, I think that's one of those things where you go, oh, ha, 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 yeah, I like that. What is that? And I don't think a lot of people yeah. ask. So when you say, when we talk about obfuscation or we talk about deception technology, can you give, can you give us kind of a high level of what that means? Yeah. So uh, the idea here is to obfuscate the data uh, the attacker sees. At the end of the day, we are controlling uh, the attacker perception at the domain network. So again, remember, if I can, as an attacker, can ask, give me about all the servers here, give me a list of all the servers here, and let's say you have uh, 100,000 servers. So at the end of the day, uh, they use the attacker can get that list and do whatever he wants with that. Now, um, uh, our idea was what if, instead of 100,000 servers, the attacker will see uh, a different a different uh, number, and that number is controlled by our artificial intelligence algorithm that then can say, "Hey, you have a hundred thousand servers, not a problem. We can easily say we can easily project we can easily show the attacker a different thing, which is could be a one million servers. If you want one point five million servers, there is no limit to the amount of the uh, 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 data that can be then projected to the attacker right at the point of breach. So nothing is changed at the Active Directory nor the network. So there's no kind of a dummy virtual machines, kind of honeypots uh, like uh, solutions. Uh, this is not the case. So uh, two, that case, I mean, two obvious questions off of that. The, the first of which is, so wait, how does the legitimate stuff get where it needs to go? But come back to that, because what I want to understand then is, as you're talking about the obfuscation, 
it almost feels like then this is almost a way to overwhelm the attacker, that there's so much mm-hmm. they can't sift through it. It's almost like when we complain about, oh, great, well, there's an alert. There's so many alerts. I have alert fatigue. I can't figure it out. Is that almost like you're you're giving them so much information and so much of it that's false? If I'm an attacker, I can't possibly figure out where to go. Is Am I, am I understanding you right, or is there a better way to think about it? Um. I will maybe emphasize it a little bit uh, from a statistical point of view. From a statistical okay. point of view, what you want is to get the upper hand uh, and and ensure that you will win no matter you know what uh, attacker you know what move attacker will take. So what I'm saying is, if you have the ability to flip dramatically the odds against the attacker, yeah. the odds yeah. of being you know attacking the right asset. Um, using this methodology, and we can go into you know mathematics and you know, statistical calculation later. But using this uh, algorithms, you can say, and we actually are saying that we can promise uh, that that we can promise ninety nine point thirty four percent chance that the attacker will uh, attack the wrong or uh, the fake uh, machine. That's that's kind of the the main goal. And again, well, this okay, is so just let's, let's yeah. So let's stay with that for a second. So ninety nine point three four percent. That's I mean that's that's impressive that they're going to attack the wrong machine. So at that point, then yeah. is it about frustrating them and creating friction for the attackers, or is it about now I have the ability to to detect them? I have the ability to react. Like it's basically I'm protecting my stuff because they're not getting to it, and because I'm forcing them to go after these false flags. Now they've revealed themselves. It, it's kind of doing both at the same time. Exactly. I mean, I just, just want to make clear. I mean, I'm not, we are not, we didn't build the company uh, to frustrate a frustrating attackers. <laughs> uh, we are, Fair point. Not Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. Our, our goal is to uh, better detect better detect the uh, the attackers i mean this methodology is by them revealing them to us but it's a different you know mm-hmm. it's not the main thing the main thing is to detect them and 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 in a very in a very efficient efficient way because you know if you look at the alternatives the alternatives is um, are very hard and very hard to actually to manage yeah and, and Roy, so, i wanted to speak to that tomorrow because i spent a little time recently thinking about this and I've kind of put it into to three buckets. You know, the third being what you've built uh, in terms of having a tool that can communicate with each other, that can use artificial intelligence to create basically fake assets within the environment, but there's a huge benefit to that. But if you take a step back and you look at a lot of people lump honeypots and, and deception and honey tokens like all into the same bucket, and I think that's the major misconception in the market today about this technology. When I think of a honeypot, I think of a separate, isolated system that I just kind of hope yep. someone stumbles across and, and gets stuck in the trap. Maybe I can observe them. Maybe it's a distraction to them, but it's completely separate physical device and oftentimes uh, maybe a virtual device, but it's a separate thing. And that has limited effectiveness in my opinion. Now, people have taken some of this concept of creating fake data. uh, And in fact, Javelin has a great list of seven things that are like, yeah, like you can go create fake data in your active directory. There's a lot of folks uh, that have recommended that people do that. However, where it falls down is how do you manage that in a large active yeah, directory environment? Just, that was my Keep next question. Keep tabs of what fake stuff you've created, what's real, what's fake. Those lines start to blur and it starts to be a management headache. 
And where I think uh, Javelin really shines is that they're tying all that together for you, taking all of the good things from those, those solutions, but giving you a tool to manage, monitor, control, maintain, and take action, which I think is the, the, well, the big the Yeah, big piece. and to that, Roy, then, so how does your legitimate stuff on, on the inside of the network not get confused by the obfuscation? Yeah, so I will touch this in, in a one second, but I want to just, you know, connect to what uh, Paul just said. Um, you know, all those, you know, guys that probably are doing uh, all those honey talking, honey tokens mm-hmm. and, you know, put them at the end point and hope, you know, praying, you know, that, you know, the attacker will take the bait right. and, you know, uh, be redirected to the dummy virtual machine. Uh that those things and you can just google you know i'm encouraging everyone uh to google just honeypot buster it's just a powershell script that we uh kind of wrote um like three months ago and the idea here is that um those honey tokens can be uh validated and what does it mean let's see there is a honey token in front of me there is ways and there are actually ways that you know i as an attacker can validate Prior, I mean, before I'm using the uh, that honey talking and 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 make sure this is not a trap. So what we did is just automated that uh, process mm-hmm. for you. So just uh, um, just Google up and this you will see all those uh, something like you know. Uh, actually, we cover all the honey tokens that is out there mm-hmm. and and showing. By querying again, querying the Active Directory and 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 validate you know that information. For example, if someone uh, injected um, you know a fake um, credentials into the LSS memory, so um, it's really easy to go back to the Active Directory. Remember, is kind of our best friend and ask him, hey, just do you know that that guy? I mean, is it uh, really a domain admin or is it is it mm-hmm. is this the guy that is? Is it is so it's really important, it's really easy, and, and you didn't trigger any <laughs> alert. Yeah, so this is like one one thing, and there is more other stuff that yeah, yeah. I mean, we show, and and this is kind of I, back I, to have a sli- uh, I have a slide on that for next week already. <laughs> <Yep>. No, <laughs> I mentioned Honey Pop uh, Buster, so uh, I'm glad you, you mentioned it there, That's, right? Yeah, yeah, thank you. And back to uh, to you, to your Micah. So the idea is, um, uh, regular users um, are not going to actively. Uh, 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 just use uh, actively uh, use queries to Active Directory and get all that uh, you know all uh, that information. So, so you, okay. So, so that's that's one thing. But there are guys like um, you know domain administrators, like administrators. This is actually their day to day job. So they would need to use that and applications. Like there are applications that connected to the domain that need to use the directory information in order to do what. Know they are doing, and um, for those stuff, the the simple answer, it's not the simple solution, but a simple answer is just a whitelist. It's in a whitelist. It's a very simple whitelist. Yep. At the end of the day, that says, hey, if you are, if that process, we're not talking about a source IP or just a simple that process alone is querying the Active Directory uh, on a daily basis. You know that that process is allowed to see. Um, the real uh, non-obfuscated, you know, uh, data. Um, uh, others, whatever, if that machine is even compromised by the attacker, he will see the fake data. That's why it's so important and in, in, um, in, 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 in unique in this methodology. And for those administrators, 
um, the algorithm is recognized that they are uh, high privilege uh, uh, users, and it's it's it stores them in a, in a whitelist kind of kind of fashion. And if uh, administrators that again, as we said, is this day to day business to query the Active Directory and do whatever you do. Uh, that's that's actually when he will uh, uh, being prompt to, uh, to 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 validate, revalidate uh, his uh, uh, his uh, identity, and then oh, I he like will that be allowed. Okay, yep. You you answered a question uh, I had in the back of my head, but I got to tell you, uh, as I'm listening to this, Roy, you know, it, we've looked at obfuscation for 20 years, and we've known that there were always limitations. And as I'm listening to you describe it. You know, sometimes I'm getting – and I feel like this is an exciting time to be in security. I know some people look at it and say, ah, I've been doing the same things now for 20 years. And as you've pointed out, Roy, this is not a new problem, taking a look at Active Directory, okay. but talking to you about using some cool techniques but finally being able to stack them together in the right order means the people who need to get the results are getting the results and the attackers are being obfuscated and – I, I'm excited. I mean, I, I love looking at stuff like this. Okay, so if you're okay. a CISO today, you're a security leader today, and you're trying to figure out all the new solutions that you can take a look at, and you've got a fixed amount of resources, a fixed amount of time, probably less money than you'd like to have, how, when you go out and you work with security leaders, what, what, how can you guide them? What do they need to think about to be more successful? So uh, my suggestions to to CISOs out there is um, is first uh, try to uh, focus on the problem. Try to learn, you know, how the, the problem itself um, as far as you can get. Um, bring consultants just to explain you the problem. It has nothing to do with the you know the various solutions that is out there. That's kind of the simple you know one. Uh, one suggestion that I have. The second suggestion that I have is, you know, I will even start from from you know, the end of my answer. I will say every uh, corporate or every you know uh, organization needs to have two CISOs: one CISO for a domain environment and one CISO for a non-domain environment. Now, it's not real. I'm not expecting uh, every every organization to have two CISOs, but the idea and the mindset needs to be split into two uh, uh, solutions and defense solutions uh, or preventive uh, mm-hmm. solutions that are, are designed for a domain environment. That's a one bucket. Uh, the other bucket is for uh, solutions that are not, you know, by design meant to be in a domain environment. Now, that's an interesting uh, can, distinction. Exactly. If you do that distinction, I mean, it, that distinguished being used for for years in the army. I mean, you uh, have tools. Okay. You have tools to to fight in a in a battlefield which is air. When we talk about you know aircraft or whatever, or there is the different tools, you know, defense tools, offensive tools that are being used at the ground or at the sea. So that's kind of the same, you know. Uh, kind of a simple metaphor to explain no, and I like to drive that. It's, that. It's, you're thinking about your landscape. I mean, you've got to think about your landscape, not just the problem you're trying to solve, but your landscape, your your exactly, exactly. your environment and I, your terrain. I like that a lot, actually. Ex- exactly. I want to add another thing, which is uh, attackers or also know that. 
Yeah. So uh, when and they're attacking a domain environment, they are using a different mm-hmm. toolbox. They are bringing a different toolbox, whether they're actually going after a non-domain environment. And, and you know, to, to just wrap it up, I'll say that the, uh, the rules, the rules for, uh, for attack as well as detection uh, in a domain environment are, are different. So, I mean, this is one of the biggest goal in, I mean, here us in, in Javelin to, to change. We want everybody to know that there is a difference. What, what I really like from a, a positioning standpoint, and this isn't Roy's official positioning statement, but <laughs> the way that I, I, I tend to look at this uh, in, in talking with enterprises and trying to understand their struggles is uh, many enterprises are looking at endpoint detection, response, and prevention yep. and, and looking to that as a solution. And a lot of times where I'll segue into a call is, well, what are you doing to prevent lateral movement in, in yep. your active directory? Yep. Because, look, yeah, it's bad if someone falls victim to an email phishing campaign and downloads a document. And, oh, by the way, there's a, a really big bug, which I'm going to call a vulnerability. Microsoft calls it a feature. It's an undocumented feature, Paul. That allows someone to execute code. Okay, that's one thing. <laughs> and now endpoint, endpoint systems are struggling to, right. to, to detect that. But what I'm saying is, okay, so let's say someone does that. Like the next thing they might do is they might start touching Active Directory, and I'm like, if you can detect that, you're still in you're still in good shape because you prevented the the bad things from happening. Well, next. yeah, and you know what's interesting too, and and Roy, you you nuance this is one of the things that I've also been paying attention to is a lot of what we call prevention insecurity is yeah. actually a rapid detection with some sort of a measured response. Yes, which is just detection and response. But as you were pointing out, Roy, if I'm looking at something statistically and I'm obfuscating them and they can't get to it in the first place, like, yes, that still triggers a a detection and a response, but it's a straight up, it's a prevention. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm feeding you false data and you can't get to it, therefore I've prevented it. I'm liking the fact, and I hope that as an industry we get better at distinguishing prevention from really, really fast detection response that we've been calling prevention for 20 years because mm-hmm. that's the best we could do. But now we can straight up prevent something. Oh, that's going to get me a little bit more excited about prevention again. Mm-hmm. So I like it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It is, you know, it's uh, totally true. And just as a thumb rule, uh, I will say uh, when you, for example, say lateral movement. Uh, so I will always add, you know, on uh, the end of the sentence uh, where, is it lateral movement in a domain environment? Is it lateral movement it's in a, a non-domain environment? I like that, yeah. That's that always, if you add that, then your kind of algorithms or, you know, how you think about the defenses or the offenses, you know, methodologies are immediately, immediately changed. Mm-hmm. Lateral movement tends to be very noisy on the network side of things. Uh, and that's why I believe a lot of attackers have moved to Active Directory because... Yep. As Roy stated in the beginning, like the queries I'm making is a part of the way Active Directory should function. It's, again, ex- exposed by design. Because if you think about it, we've been no, talking no. about lateral movement now for five, six, seven years pretty aggressively. Yeah. Yeah, it's time to switch up the hey, tactics. when I join the domain, I want to be able to see all the printers and network drives that are there. Like, that <laughs> stuff should just show up, right? That's the exposed by design. Yep. I like it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Roy, what... Um, what messages in closing do you have for uh, maybe CISOs and IT security leaders that 
may be thinking about this problem not in the right way or not recognizing this as a problem or really uh, sometimes what I find is they just kind of spread it out into multiple problems and try and develop multiple solutions right. when really there's, you know, at the top over here, there's this, there's this big problem. What can we do to, to, to educate folks on this issue at a high level? Again, in a high level, what I would like to, uh, people to, you know, customers and, and, you know, our community to kind of remember from that session is there is a difference between a machine that is connected to a domain and a machine that doesn't. You know, each and every machine, you know, are jeopardizing our environment in a totally different way. And at the end of the day, CISOs needs to understand the, the consequences, mm-hmm. the consequences of connecting a machine to a domain. Um, and if they will understand that, because that touched a lot of, you know, um, uh, problems in their security posture. It's, it's, it's a problem in the identity. It's problem, as you guys said, it's credential theft. It's, it's, it's lateral movement. It's all that kind of stuff. And just, you know, uh, that's the main message. If they understand the difference between uh, these two uh, scenarios and understand uh, what are the solutions based on the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the battlefield, if you will, the battlefield that they are actually are uh, implementing that solution into, then you know I can tell you that here in Javelin we they are we are we did sixty percent seventeen percent of our job. Mm. I like to use the analogy of meet the Fockers, <laughs> where he does the circle of trust. Yeah, right. Like you're out here, Greg. but if you're in the domain, like you're in that circle of trust, <laughs> and like it's totally different, uh, the lot less rules, right? I mean, this, and it, you know you, what? We're laughing more... about that, but I'll tell you what: you bust that on an executive meeting, um, people get it, or you go find that clip on YouTube because we know it's there, and people go, mm-hmm. oh, "Oh, oh!" So everybody has a good laugh, and they get it. That's mm-hmm. that's a great tip, Paul. Absolutely. Alrighty. Well, Roy, thank you very much for appearing on Startup Security Weekly. It was wonderful having you. I love I love talking about this topic. So, I mean, <laughs> guys, come back anytime because I love talking anytime. about this topic. Awesome. Thanks so much, Roy. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> thank you. Which, uh, with that, we're going to take a short break. Come back and talk about some startup in in security business stuff. I think is what we're we're kind of phrasing that. Yeah, so. we'll we'll chat about that. I yeah. just wrote something down. All right, let's do it. Stay tuned. Do you have a website, an external presence, employees, an office? Any of these things can be compromised and attacked. How are you defending these assets? Have you penetration tested these public assets? Start 2017 by taking a proactive approach to securing your vulnerable areas. Black Hills Information Security has been helping companies find their weaknesses since 2008. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com and see how they can help you sleep better at night. Welcome back, everyone, to Startup Security Weekly. Michael Santarcangelo is here in studio. I want to mention our fine friends, of course, at itpro.tv, itpro.tv forward slash startup security. Use the discount code SS30. Try it free for seven days. Get 30% off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. Go do it. Yeah, I love that. Um, we're going we're gonna to start taking a uh, bigger look at that too you and me and looking at some of the content and sharing that because the thing and we've talked about this now a couple times this week but if this is the first time that you're watching us talk about this what i've really enjoyed about learning about it pro tv is their approach is we're going to bring you stuff that's relevant we're going to keep looking at whether it's good or not Uh, and by the way we can update it if 
something needs to get updated and you're in the studio Monday, it's up by, if not Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. So it's timely. But they've started some new series now where they look at the concepts behind red teaming or the concepts behind blue teaming. And I, I'm completely convinced that if you're in security today and you're not constantly exposing yourself to all these different things that are happening and at least able to be conversant on it, yeah, you're going to miss out. What, and this is a great way to do it. What I like is it, it's access to this uh, quick on-demand library of stuff that can get you up to speed on the topic at varying levels, right? Yep. Whether that's a technical that's thing, point. like, oh, I need to be up to speed on this tool, on this concept, on this particular thing because a project just came my way or I want to start researching this new thing. I'm going to go take some training on it. And it also helps you in your career in that, you know, I really, in my job, I just had my review and I really need to get better at project management, at infrastructure yeah. design, whatever, it, even higher level. I mean, infrastructure design is probably a little technical, but project management, right? I can go get up to speed on that on IT Pro TV. You know what else That's is what I like too, about it. And this just occurred to me. You know, a lot of times, and even on this show, we do this. We'll say red teaming, or we'll say blue teaming. Now we say purple teaming. We'll mm-hmm. bring something up, and most people go, "Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah." No, I love that. Yeah, I love that. And you don't necessarily know what it is. This is the kind of resource where you get to go and we call that the business laugh. Check. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull that. There was up a lot now. of business laughing going I'm, on until one day I was like, "Wait a minute! You don't know what I'm yeah. talking about." And they're like, "Yeah, no, we just laugh." <laughs> yeah, it's just it sounds good, and we're all along. I'm like, "You need to go to IT Pro TV." And well, go, that, yeah. But that's the nice part yeah. about it, though, is that you, you're. What I what you pointed out that I that resonated with me is you can get to the level that you need to. Yeah. So you hear a term, and you're like, "Yeah." I don't know if I know what that term is. Well, you can ask us. And I'm not embarrassed no, if I get asked. And I'm not yeah. embarrassed to ask. If I don't but know, I'll... Here's a way to go figure it out. So I like it, and uh, I think we're going to keep seeing more from it. So it's good. I really like it a lot. So let's talk uh, some articles and discussion. And I think um, what we're, we're taking a look at is, is how to better explain our focus. And, and uh, just in the break there, I wrote down uh, that what we're going to look at is how we improve the security of business by exploring the business of security. So, you know, and I feel like I've been saying this a lot, so we'll try to write it up better. But, you know, a lot of the stories that I pick for this for this segment, when we talk about them, I'm looking at people that are uh, running their own companies, whether it's a lifestyle business or a startup or whatever. But what I've done, because I, I get the opportunity, I'm working with enterprise teams, I'm working with vendors, I'm working with startups, and I get the chance to work with executives and boards. And, and so when you kind of sit in the middle of it, you say, we all think it's different, and it's not that different. So these are concepts that, that any of us comply. But I threw this one in because a lot of you have asked these types of questions. Three reasons why a side hustle can make a huge impact in your career. And what's like a side hustle? Is that like I, I was going to ask if you've got a side like hustle? A, like a, is that like I got a lemonade stand I do on the weekends? It, that's exactly the concept. There's, there's a lot of people now that what they find is uh, they've got their day job. And look, I, I appreciate insecurity sometimes. Your day job is also your night and your weekend job. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's part of this industry. Well, you but, may have a side hustle inside of your career. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And so, what, and, and I, I can tell you, I'm a big fan of if you think you want to be a freelancer or you think you want to build your own company, you want to do a startup, start it as a side hustle. And so the idea is, is um, and if you take it literally, it's the hustle. It's that you're learning that grind. You know, Paul and I have talked a lot about just sell something for $1,000, but sell it enough. Get get well, a repeat order, and that doesn't. In the beginning, it doesn't even need to really be a business. You could say, "Look, doing this job now, my focus is X. I'm going to go research Y, like in my and, own time." And, and, and that's exactly. And where... it can all be under that umbrella of security. Like maybe I'm an incident responder, 
but I want to go learn about application development and security. So that's my and side it, hustle in my career. And, right? and there's, there's number one. Yeah. So the idea to it is uh, you can learn new skills. Now I'm going to add to it too. If you take something, so I, I like the idea of getting paid for it, even if you're going to learn a new skill, mm-hmm. because that's going to do two things. It's going to give you a little extra income. And that makes it easier to justify or prioritize, or it lets you get a nice vacation, a, a dinner out, something to that effect. But here's the other part, especially if we've been in security. You look at it and you say, marketing, I understand that. Well, you, you've got a career in marketing, Paul. Is it as easy as everybody made it out to be? No. And what um, I was talking with someone yesterday, and I won't, I won't steal anyone's thunder, but I'll talk about it after it, it occurs. But, uh, you know, I, I was interviewed and, and talking about that, and I was like, yeah, I, I pretty much... I wish I could say that I planned it this way, but I, I spent a, a good year doing a specific role in marketing, and it turns out that really helped me yep. in, in my business today. So, and while I figured out that that wasn't where I wanted my career to go, uh, I enjoyed doing it. I learned a lot, but I realized I wanted to do something different. What I didn't realize until fairly recently is how crucial that was to my career and my, my business today, and I'm very thankful to so we're gonna circle kind of talk through that. We're going to put a finer point on that. The idea then of the side hustle, the benefits, they, they talk about you get some of that income, you get to learn some of those new skills. The other one I want to add to it is sales. We all think sales mm. is, is either a bunch of vultures or it must be easy or it's whatever. Yeah, well, when you've got an idea and you're really excited about it <laughs> and you get a chance to connect with somebody else and you've got to convince them to make an investment of time, of energy, of money, I'll I tell you what, and I think this matters from a security perspective so much, you'll have a different understanding of the vendors that you are working with You'll be able to sort through the vendors that you want to work with faster. And when you need to sell your ideas internally, you're going to be a lot better off for it. Third option I have in this one is you get freedom. They say it's your own boss. Um, I, I got to tell you, you might find, by the way, that you don't like it. A lot of people I've met thought it was going to be awesome. Mm. They get into it. It's not for them. Uh, if you get into that situation, I don't think that's a problem. That's, um, in fact, uh, I try to be more empathetic about it, Paul, but uh, actually we don't. Here's the thing. We've talked about this, and so I just I threw it in because this has been a thread uh, that we've talked about for a while. So do you need empathy? Do you not need empathy? Do you need more empathy? Do leaders need empathy? And empathy is that ability to it's, – it's an emotional it, – well, it's part of emotional intelligence. It's our ability to understand somebody else's perspective. I think in security, it's absolutely important. I think that the way that we go about things, if you want to be successful, you need that opportunity to be able to understand it from their perspective, and that's empathy. But it gets written about so much when it comes to communication and so much when it comes to leadership that people kind of take it the wrong way. So Daniel Goleman, who is a leading thinker on this, I mean, this is this is his thing. Uh, and he looks at it and he basically says, yeah, everybody keeps saying we need more empathy, but but there are limits to it. There's only so much you can do in terms of altruism. There's only so much you can do in terms of understanding. And uh, and so his his point is, yeah, you, you don't really need to do that. You need the right levels of empathy. You need the right levels of compassion. And so they've really gotten more into the neuroscience of it all. It's an interesting read if you, if you kind of geek out on this stuff the more the way that I do. Here's the point. And I'm going to point this out too because I've, I've got to crack this nut myself. It talks about more need for meditation, right? Which for me is going to come down to uh, awareness, awareness of yourself, awareness of your emotions. See, Paul's already on it. I love this. So, so oh, sorry. I was meditating. It's perfect. And look at you. I just you, said mediating, you, you feel which was so, kind of interesting. You feel so, Mediating your way to compassionate action. <laughs> I guess you could do that, you too. You could do that. You could, it's, here's why I think, again, this type of stuff matters from a security perspective. 
it, it's easy to get swept up. You read these things and you like it one way or the other way and you decide based on what, what works for you. What I'd say is the answer lies somewhere in the middle and it probably depends on how much empathy and compassion you currently have. But just keep in mind with this, when you're in security today, you're going to somebody else, you're asking them to change, to do something that's probably complex that they don't understand as well as they'd like to. I think that a little bit of empathy is for us probably going to go yeah, a agree. long way. All right, this other one. I uh, just want to point this out. You are not the user of the false consensus effect. I'll tell you what, this works if you're uh, any, anything in anybody listening to this. We have this tendency where we say, well, I mean, I know how it's going to work. I mean, because, you know, I designed it for somebody just like me. Uh, the short answer is no. No. The, you need to understand the backgrounds, the approaches. Uh, they talk here a lot about mental models. I talk about systems that people use in order to get to a particular outcome. And a lot of times we'll design something because it works for us. And we don't really have an understanding of how it works for everybody else. Mm. But we, we buy into it and we go, well, but I mean, I, but I talked to Paul. He said it worked for him. Well, we're close enough that, you know, that kind of I, makes I, sense. I go back to the uh, example that uh, Awake Security gave us. It was like, yeah, we sat down. I love with, his with approach. Incident, like, Gary's we, approach we sat, that was fantastic. Sat down with incident responders for like a, a week or so at a time. It was just like, hey, like, how do you do your job and where are your frustration points? You know? Yeah. I yeah. think that was probably one of the, this year, the better examples of really, truly understanding the problem from multiple other people's perspectives, which is what I think you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and you know what? We're going to have to go check in with Awake, too. And if you go back and look at that, uh, and I don't have the number in front of me, but if you go back and look at that episode, it was fantastic. And his approach was, we went out and we talked to people, and we just said, hey, tell us three ways you describe your job. And, and they were kind of shocked by what they learned. But if you then go back and use that from a marketing perspective, you have such a different understanding. I mean, I, I, I really dig that. Now, one of the other things we learned from Gary on that show is that there's an average of 37 panes or panels or screens you got to take a look at. Great segue. Complete overwhelmed, <laughs> right? Too many choices. Um, but, you know, Paul, I mean, you and I were even talking about that this morning as we were looking at ways to help this network connect the industry and the community together, that if there's too many choices... People are completely overwhelmed by it. Yeah, so we had a whiteboard, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not presenting all those choices to everyone no. who the, I think we much. can help. That's like way too much. Like we're going we're gonna to cherry pick things, maybe ease our way into it and say, look, this is what we recommend. And then maybe later say, well, you know, we've got these other pieces. But you do get very overwhelmed by options. Yeah, so so I, I like this because I, I, again, tend to see this. So it's, uh, the, there's a broader concept called the paradox of choice. And we would tend to think that if we have more options, that we're happier, that more options is better. And what tends to happen is more options means that we delay our decisions, we make a decision, and then as soon as we make it, we almost have buyer's remorse, like, ooh, I don't know if I made the right choice. I don't know if I did the right thing. And so what happens then a lot of times, too, if you're looking at security or you're trying to, if you give you too many choices, then it's a, well, what do you do? So it's overwhelming for us if we're trying to present it. It's overwhelming if you're trying to understand it or work with it. Or any of those types of things. So they had four predictors then that will tell you if somebody's going to be overloaded. And I liked these. So I'll just give you the high level. You come to the show notes and check it out. Choice set complexity. So how did you, how did you, oper, uh, how did you operationalize what my choices were? I used to use Apple as a great example of doing this right. And I have not, I have not actively looked at their stuff. But I'll tell you, it feels a little bit more overwhelming. But if you go back to the iPods, classic. So pre-iPhone, pre-everything else, they had the iPod. Uh, they started with just the iPod, mm-hmm. all right? and then they called that the classic for a while, and, and, but that was their deluxe one. Then uh, on the low end, they had the shuffle, mm-hmm. and in the middle, they had the nano. Which do you think most people chose? 
The Nano? Yep. Because the price point, yeah. it had enough of the features. It, it didn't have all the super fancy stuff at the time, but it also wasn't the shuffle. And, and if you went to their website, mm-hmm. that's pretty much where they drove you. So they gave you the way that they presented it. You can have this super premium option. It was $500. You can have this not as premium option, but it's still pretty cool, and it's a little smaller, and it's got colorful cases, and that's $200 or, or whatever. Or you can have this uh, $99 one, and really it's just kind of a throwaway. But if you want to get into it, you can have it. I mean, it's good because we made it, but really you probably don't want that. It, but what was cool was when you went into it, though, what they were really good at, Guess which one they made the best profit margin on? Mm, the Nano. Mm-hmm. So they, they really figured that out. So if you wanted to be that person who was that early adopter, you had access to everything, you were good. You were covered. So that's called choice set complexity. Did, did I give How you How do a- we apply this to the, the question that we probably get every day from our wives, Michael, and that's, what do you want to do for dinner? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about being overwhelmed with choices. I, I think what you do, you just go steak. Yeah. What do you want? Steak. Steak. But we had that yesterday. Okay, well, let's, let's go different tonight. How about steak? Yeah. Right, and then, and then they'll stop asking. Um, to the task difficulty, so um, there's a lot of theory around this, but if, if the choices seem so different or, or they're really complex, so again, what Apple did right was, here, you want something really basic? This, if you want pretty much everything here, and if you really want to be super special, you can have this one. You're going to pay for it, but there you go. If I can't discern quickly, which sometimes I feel like, like, for example, uh, do you want the iPhone 10? Do you want the iPhone 8? Do you still want to pick up a... They still sell the 6Ss or the SEs? Mm-hmm. Okay, I can't even tell you anymore what the difference is between those phones. I can I, tell you... I, I could have been it's content kind of for another show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, there you go. All right. A um, show that we don't have on our network And then today. the decision goal. And that's, and that's the, tough, the tough part for a lot of people. Uh, and we ask this question all the time. What's the problem you're trying to solve? Find a lot of people going into making choices, and Paul, they have no idea. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't know the problem they're trying to solve, which means uh, if you don't know the problem you're trying to solve or the outcome you want, uh, but that's also why when we take a look at the stuff that we're trying to do here and we then talk about outcomes, it's it's shocking to me the number of people who don't n- know. Like they don't know the problem they're trying to solve, which means they don't know the outcome. But then they're looking at all these different choices. There's no connection to any of it. Well, I think and, a lot of people want to be cool, so they're going to buy the most expensive thing from Apple. I think sometimes uh, that's the we case. do that. Not all, all right. the time. Last one pretty quick. Three myths about successful founders that won't die. I... I it's negative, but I kind of like it because uh, founders are bold risk takers. Um, I agree. I mean, I think some are. And and I think what happens is the people that are the bold risk takers, we write stories about. So we go, oh, that must be the way to do it. No. If this is something you're interested in, you don't have to do it. Lone Rangers. Um, I actually think teams do really well. And I think we see that pretty consistently. And then the powerful personalities part. Um I don't know. Neither of us has a powerful personality, Paul, so I, I don't I, even know how to address this. Yeah, I, 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 don't know. <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. All right. Um, the startup news notes of interest. I just continued the, what happens when you sell your startup. Here's why I put this in. It's actually pretty good writing if you, if you get a, a chance, and it goes deep into it. Two parts I wanted to point out. One is more of my own editorial on it. I talked to a lot of people who start a company, and I say to them, hey, what's your exit? What's your plan? And, and they, a lot of them say, well, I'm, I'm, I don't have one. I'm not going to. You need to. You, you need it. You may never eat. Look, you might have a lifestyle business. It's going to be great to the day that, that you're done, that you retire or, or whatever. It might be a family-run business. But you have to give some thought about it. Mm-hmm. And what I also find interesting is chances are you're not going to IPO. Chances are you're going to either get acquired or you're going to sell or you're going to merge or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And it's at least worth thinking about in the beginning. What's my exit? Because what I also find sometimes is, is you'll say to somebody, 
well, would you ever consider? And I'm always amazed people, no, I'd never even consider it. And I remember, right, because I feel like a complete show if we talk about Shark Tank. I remember one time sitting down and, and watching the show with my kids when they were a little bit younger. And I, I don't remember who it was. Mark Cuban made somebody an offer. And the person was like, you know, but he wanted 50%. And the guy's like, oh, it's too much equity. And it was kind of like you're, you're going to go from like a $10 million company to a $100 million company. Mm-hmm. Do you want to have 100% of $10 million? Or do you want to have 50% of $100 million? And I don't think people think about that cleanly. And so it's a, so what's important to you in the business and, and how do you want to think about it? That matters. But there's this other thing that I thought was pretty interesting. Well, too. I think the shark take point you need to, uh, and I, I don't think many people do this because I've seen the sharks actually say, let me just buy the company right now. Right. And there's like, like, Oh my God, I wasn't totally, do you walk in with be prepared for that? Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times that's going to work out for you. Like, yeah. And, and I watched someone do that. And as he thought about it in hand and hall, the price started dropping. Yep. And then he was like, oh, okay, well, I just, you know, I could have got $200,000 more, but I didn't because I wasn't decisive. I watched one of the shows that we talked about. I can't remember where the person, the investor said, how about I just buy the company from you guys? Like, that would be awesome. Like, yeah, go, done. Thank yeah, you. Done. Like, that's my exit. Like, I had this idea. I brought it to market. I'm really excited about it. There we go. Here's the second part about this, though. So if you go read this article, and I highly recommend it, it talks about preferred stock and preferred shares versus non-preferred shares. And it talked about, and I thought this was really interesting. So if you ever hear somebody talking about double dipping, what happens is, let's say, and this is, I'm going to loosely quote their, um, their example. You've got a 20% stake, and you've got a preferred share. So what happens on that liquidation event, whatever that exit is, you get your, assuming there's enough, you get your money back plus 20% of, uh, you know, at, at 20%, and then you also get 20% of whatever's left. Mm-hmm. So if you've just got common stock, what ends up happening is, let's say, uh, it, uh, after all the money's left, there's $10 million left over, you get 20%, here's your $2 million, thanks for playing however that worked out and and what happens is if you've got this preferred stock it's you get your money back plus a share and then you get your share of whatever's left over so the preferred stock's really good and so if you ever get to the investing side you want to have that if you're new to this and someone's coming in and they're demanding that you just need to understand what it is that they're going to get from it Mm -hmm. i don't have a problem with things like double dipping and stuff i just think you just need to be aware of it in the way that it operates and it's it's pretty good here's some other news zscaler Oh, I added an S. I'm sorry. Zscaler files their IPO. They did a confidential IPO. Um, there's this. I didn't dig deeper into it, but I think we saw this recently. Uh, I think it was Forescout did it the same way. You can basically be quiet. Like you, you can speed the whole thing up. You stay confidential with it. You're flying under the radar. You pop up. Naturally, they did not comment on it. They didn't have one. Uh, Zscaler is considered a unicorn. Their valuation currently is over a billion dollars, and the rumor is they'll IPO by year end. Um, it's interesting. I mean, we're seeing a lot happen with them. I mean, enterprise, we talked about them this week and the partnerships and the way they're, they're helping people move into the cloud faster. Well, it's cloud. You know? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, there, you, and we see it with Skybox too. There's a lot of money going into still today. Cloud. I think the cloud security companies, cloud IT companies are really getting a lot of funding today. Like it's really well, yeah, I mean, big, like it, it's matured into like, oh, well, yeah, of course, we're going to have a lot of players and they need to be well funded. Well, yeah. And I think the thing, too, is that it, then if you want to be a player, it, you you have to be well funded, right? Like it's we're going to have a lot of players and they're going to be well funded. And now to play, you've got to be well funded. So we're going to watch yeah, those in, rounds. Go in up. that space, I think 
You're correct. Not all spaces in security. Correct, but cloud. That space. The, the way, yeah. yeah and, and when we bring up the stuff looking at SaaS and looking at SaaS models and everything else, there's enough change. Let's pounce then, since you talked about Skybox. They took on $150 million in equity. So they're at $286.2 million, 10 rounds. They've been around since 2002. I didn't realize that they've been around that long. I didn't realize they were around that long. So that's, that's kind of surprising to me. Um, typically, if you see this big of a round in equity, it means they're getting ready for an IPO. Like, that's... That's, and that's e- one of the things. Equity is just a loan, right? It can be. It's typically. Yeah. That's, but that's usually what that means. So they don't have uh, ownership or shares in the company. They're just loaning them the money. Yep. Usually. Yeah. Usually that's what that means. Um, you say usually sometimes. There's times, there's times, that times it where an equity comes with, uh, we're going to loan you the money, and until you pay us back, we're going to take a percentage. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Here, yeah, yeah. Here's your guarantee, or here's your whatever mm-hmm. else. But what, what you tend to see in a lot of situations like this is um, and you know what I didn't pull up offhand uh, what their estimated revenues are, but this is 150 million dollars is a lot of money. But because it didn't change the valuation and because it didn't it didn't doesn't change, change the shares, shares yeah. the allocations mm-hmm. that's that's a pretty large chunk of change, and that's usually signaling that they're getting ready to go through all the the, the hassle yeah. of an IPO. I gotcha, and they're large enough that that's kind of what I'd like to see. Mm-hmm. CrowdStrike. I'm just putting this in quick because it came across the news flashes for us. Uh, CrowdStrike raised $25 million in Series D. Now, if you're paying attention, CrowdStrike is one of those companies that we call a unicorn, which means they're over a billion dollars in valuation. And we see we've got... Also, we call them the three, the three C's in Endpoint now. I'm starting to notice I'm that, starting right? to see, You see that trend where it's uh, Silence, CrowdStrike, and Carbon Black yep. are the three C's. And what I think is interesting about that, too, is that when Silence came out, I wouldn't have called them an Endpoint company. And when CrowdStrike no. came out, I was really confused. And they weren't I thought, an Endpoint I company. I they were a threat and tell company. I don't think either one was an endpoint company when they when they were started. But they are now. Yeah. And I think then when the we carbon go back, black might have been the only one, but the bit nine yeah, position. Right. So when you go back and we look at play bigger and we look at defining your category, I mean I think this is actually a case where the category kinda got defined, but these are the kings. These are these people right. duking it out for the king, right? The kingship is I, is I agree that there I there is no clear it's a weird category in that it doesn't play by any of the rules that well, we and, pretend to talk well, about. And, and you if know. you think about it, too, and this is where I think people who do category design have a real advantage. What are we talking about? Endpoint. Okay, that's confusing by itself. Mm-hmm. Detection and response. I know we always put them together, but they're different. And then as you and I have been talking about, well, there's a whole analysis component to that as well. That Therefore, you're going to have yes. – I mean, that's not a single problem. You've got a very compound, multivariate problem, mm-hmm. and that gets kind of nutty. So here's the thing. They raised $25 million in the Series D. If you go back and you look at it, it basically means that they either kept the round open or they reopened it. So their mm-hmm. last raise was in May. It was $100 million. That's what catapulted them to that unicorn status. So when you see something like this, all this means typically – and I don't have, I didn't reach out to anybody on this one. What it typically means is either somebody was late. Or somebody really wanted to get in, mm-hmm. and so they they either kept the round open or they reopened the same round, which means they don't mess with the dilution, they don't mess with the valuation. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just they're taking they in more, more money, more money. Right. And, and since it's, I mean, I, I hate to say twenty five million is a small round, but for a company valued at a billion dollars, this feels more like well, that changes their valuation if they got more money potentially. Well, it could on, on but, paper it but, might, but this amount, this is this really feels like. Somebody wanted a board seat, or somebody wanted in, yeah. or something like th- that's it's. So it's just it's the it's it feels like the continuation of the D round. Really it's, quick though, it's not and a we've, big deal. we've talked to companies uh, several that have done this. It, don't look at it as well. It's already category king. I can't play. What 
Michael and I've seen oh, even yeah. this week is you take like a component from one category and a component from another category and you kind of blend them together. And now you got your own category. It's kind of like a dotted line of these other categories, but I think that's really smart. It, and was, I like seeing that a lot. This was an exciting week. Uh, we got a chance to talk to a couple companies where we challenged them on stuff and, and we went in thinking what we thought about them yep. and put that right on the table with them. And, and that's one of the things I like about working with you is that we just, this is what it we is think. what it is. Yeah. Right. And, and in both cases, they're like, yeah, except for we do it this way. And we were like, oh, keep going. Keep talking to it. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, it's, it's uh, I would never be disillusioned because somebody else is doing it. If your point of view on the problem is different, your approach is different. Uh, you got some hurdles to cross. But, I mean, frankly, that's some of what we try to help people right. with. So I'm, I almost I'm wish, too, this, we, the, the two calls that we had are the ones, you know, we're talking about. And they, the companies were awesome. Yeah. I almost wish we had another couple mixed in there where we didn't think they were so awesome, <laughs> so we could talk about what they would do better, right? Yeah. Because like, we had these companies that are like, nope, like they yeah, get it. Still but we, about we didn't get to talk about like, oh, yeah. well, that company, we think they totally had it wrong, and here's what Michael and Paul <laughs> yeah. think, you know, they should do better. We might have that conversation with the, with the vendor in a very delicate manner on the yeah, phone, we're, or we may come back afterwards and say, okay, if someone approaches it this way, like, why yeah. isn't that correct, and what can we do to improve their positioning and, and strengthen their category? Yeah, I like it. Two more quick ones. Uh, metric stream rate, $65 million in equity. You know, it's funny. They've been around since 2006. They've raised over $250 million. The revenue consensus is $40 million. It's, it's, it's not small. I'm familiar with the name. I have never come across metric stream in the enterprise. No, I haven't either. Like, everybody's using Archer, and we're still calling it Archer, but uh, everybody's got it. Um, yep. But but they're there. Uh, and GRC... It's still it's still making a play. I mean, that's where we can pull Matt in. Matt Matt's got some uh, chops there. Uh, last piece: Proofpoint acquired Cloudmark. Not terribly surprising, uh, by the way. One hundred ten million dollars. So Cloudmark had raised uh, thirty eight and a half million dollars, but their rounds were between two thousand three twenty ten. So what that tells me is uh, they hadn't IPO'd. They hadn't figured out how to acquire uh, Cloudmark. No, was Cloudmark? Am I wrong in this? Were they part of the Verizon business thing for a while? Mm-hmm. I'm getting cloud feel... mark. There's a lot of cloud. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, okay, I might be confused on that part. Uh, and if I am, I'm terribly sorry with that. But their revenue consensus was about $20 million. So a sale of 110 Logged into Owler. What, what is cloud? Read me the tag on Cloudmark. <clears throat> in Owler, what do they do? I'm what gonna pull it up. I'm what did they up. do before they're now going to prove point? Pull it up right now. They still do the same thing. This email, is a email something. This was, this was, to, it looks like to improve their. Oh, goodness. I just got the same flag you got. Yeah, like we're not logged in. Okay. Well, we're going to take a look at that. They do some sort of send a reputation thing based on email. Um, oh, okay. Gotcha. So, Which so, it, a lot of organizations I talk to are, in fact, using Proofpoint for email phishing protection. Yeah. Yeah, Proofpoint really not, distinguished not, themselves on that yeah, front. So, I, You know, it, it, I'm not sure how well or not so well Proofpoint actually works, but they're in the mix. What I like about it is they gave us the numbers, $110 million, and when you go look at the investment and you go look at the revenue consensus, either way you slice it, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not that home run return, but it's, it's a sizable return. It's a good yeah. deal for people. So uh, that's it. It's been a fun week getting awesome to week. be here in studio. Need We're going to do, it, do again. it again. This yeah. is the first Startup Security Weekly that Michael and I have both been in the same location yeah. in the studio. And I got here before it snowed. It's cold, and I'm sorry for that because I feel like I brought the cold with it is, me. It is cold. That's okay. It, it's chilly outside. It's okay. We're from the Northeast. We'll... We'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll survive. I'm going to get on a plane. We know how to dress warm. Get on a plane, go back home. But it's, this is great. It was a fun week. Um, I like the way, too, that, that these things are evolving. So, you know, we always say if you've got feedback on the way that we're doing stuff, especially as we, as we look toward that business side of it, 
Um, we're still going to look at what it takes for the enterprise, but also the business of security and those types of things. So, yeah, I, I think a new theme, the new theme emerged in the business of security uh, kind of as a theme. Because, I mean, we do talk about startups, and that's a huge part of the business of security uh, is startups. But we realize we talk about so much more. Uh, and I think people have this perception that this is just a show about startups. And those that that thank you took the time to listen yeah. right we appreciate we're you. like wow like i learned so much about the business of security yep. that we're like yeah that's probably yeah we've gotten some really nice feedback and i think that was part of our, our conversation this morning and you know paul we always tell everybody like we don't get time to sit and talk it's been a great week we've we've yeah. had time to sit and talk and, and hang out and, and, and hey, it's, it's a great, great time to be in security from a lot of different business uh aspects in fact uh, you know kind of an update on my journey is got a call from one of my business partners and they're like how do we how do we handle like you know like revenue sharing and all this stuff? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I got this. I'm like, what do you think about this? And I'm like, you know, we we uh, pay the person in the revenue for the first part of it, and then we give them a residual after that. So basically, <laughs> they get the first. And he was like, oh, wow, that was like you were, I, you were like right on point. I'm there like, you go. I was like, I like fell off my own chair. I'm like. Oh, wow. Like, I learned something, and I applied it. Yay! It was yep. great. It was great. No, it, you know, I mean, I, I've said over the course of the last year, year and a half, it's, it's, been, it's done the same thing for me. Uh, I think I said on one of the last shows, I mean, now that I've narrowed down my focus, in fact, you and I had this conversation this morning. So, Paul and I, I don't know how many whiteboards we went through, four or five different panels. We snapped pictures of it all. We tried to prioritize it. And we said, Wow. We expanded everything we're doing, and yet it feels so much more streamlined and focused. Leave, leave the focus. And we talked about, we've talked about focus a lot on this show, and I, let me have made the mistakes for you. And a lot of times, if the yep. whiteboard got off track, I'm like, no, no, no. Like I, I've been down that road before, and I reeled the reins in on it, and, I, and I've refocused, and I, I know that that's dangerous territory. And I'm not saying you shouldn't expand your offering, and you shouldn't pivot, but those are very calculated decisions. You can get away from your mission, especially in security, where you can say, oh, we can do all these things, right? It's very easy to fall into that yeah. trap if you're starting a project, if you're starting a business in security, very easy to fall into that trap. Yep. But having that focus and expanding inside of your own focus is, is some of the things we're able to do you know, today for our Security Weekly offerings, which is I'm excited about. Me too. But oh, uh, no, I, lesson I, learned I'm from other really people, energized. make sure you do the same thing. Well, and uh, I think in, our own mistakes own. too, right? And, mm-hmm. and, that's, and that's the thing that, that we talk about a lot. So um, we're going to look to keep doing that and doing that better. And I know a lot of you that have written to us and shared with us how this has helped you with your leadership and this has helped you grow your program. Uh, awesome. And thank you. And we're going to keep looking to build that out uh, as we go. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching Start Security Weekly. We will see you next time.